Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, guitarist Fred Jenkins longtime member of the Gap Band, as well as Rick James' 1980s musical family. That included Gap's three through five albums that contained funk jams like Burn Rubber, Humpin', Early in the Morning, You Dropped a Bomb on Me, Talking Back, and Party Train, along with mellow classics like Yearning for Your Love and Outstanding. His other recording credits include Tyrone Davis, Janet Jackson, and Pebbles. Fred, thank you so much for joining me. Where are you uh, coming to us from today? Los Angeles, California. Uh huh. And I don't know if you know, I am a native from Los Angeles. I'm wearing a Lakers cap as we talk. So, oh, cool. Yeah. 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 Um, moved away in 2006, but you know that's where my heart still is. So, um, have I you? Know. 
have you always been in Los Angeles, or were you from originally? Chicago, originally. And so how long in L.A. about? Since uh, 1979. Okay, so, yeah, a good amount of time for most of uh, your music career, sounds like. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's jump back to... Uh, those earlier days uh, in Chicago, Midwest, um, you know, how did you first get into music and why guitar? Well, my whole family is music, musically oriented. My, uh, my grandma played guitar. My mother was a singer. My oldest sister played guitar. And my oldest brother played guitar. So guitar has been an instrument that's been like a commonality throughout my whole family. And did you ever have any lessons or just kind of learned it on your own? Well, I had some lessons here and there. My, my baby brother taught me how, and I started buying books, and I taught myself. And as well as listening to records, you know, how that goes, and learning to play by ear, as well as learning to read. And you started out on acoustic, or you jumped right into an electric? Electric, then acoustic, back to electric. Do you still remember your first guitar? No, it's been quite a while. I don't remember it. <laughs> no, I don't. Usually it seems like uh, everyone says, you know, they got some Sears guitar or something like that as their first one. Yeah, it was probably something like that. I'm not, I don't even remember the name of the guitar. So what kinds of music were you first uh, getting into? Well, blues was a big a part of my, my influence around the house. My mom played blues all the time, um, jazz, and a little rock and roll. And who are some of your favorite artists? Wow, that's, that's a big question. Um... Jazz-wise, I would say it's uh, George Benson, uh, Pat Martino. Um, that's just two that I could think of right off my right off hand. And uh, rock and roll, of course, Jimi Hendrix, B.B. Um, King, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters. And when did you first uh, get into a band experience? I would say when I was in high school, um, we had a little band. I don't remember the name of it. My brother was a lead singer. I played guitar. And uh, some other guys, we formed us a group and we started playing around town, some of the talent shows or whatever. And that was in Chicago? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, Chicago has such a great music history with, you know, blues, like, of course, the greats mm -hmm. uh, in Chicago and blues, and then also, you know, rock and soul with, um, you know, Chicago and Rufus and Earth, Wind & Fire, and so many greats came through there. That's right. Absolutely. Minnie Ripperton. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I had, um, oh, uh, what's his name? 
He's saying with the rotary, um, you know, many reproduce Connection. group. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sydney Barnes. Yeah, Sydney Barnes was on the show. Um, was with that really? Group. Yeah. Oh my God! I didn't know that. I know Sydney. Oh okay. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. He's still doing it. God bless him. You know. I haven't spoke to Sydney in years. I would love to see him. He's actually in my state, North Carolina, but he's uh, over more in the mountains area, but uh, not too far from me. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. So, Scott, what instruments do you play? Uh, well, I dabble, you know. I'm more of a uh, kind of a frustrated musician. That's why I got so much into being a DJ and a journalist and doing these interviews. But uh, I do play mm -hmm. some guitar, and, um, you know, I played saxophone in school, alto sax. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when you got into a band, you know, were you doing talent shows, high school dances, you know, a lot of cover songs? What was it like? Cover songs, um, talent shows, wherever we could get work at, you know, to get the name out there. Do you remember the name of that band? Oh, man. No, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the name. Oh, man, so you didn't get the name out there so good that you remember it now. <laughs> I know, huh? Right. <laughs> um, so do you remember the types of, you know, were you playing mostly top 40 or dance tunes or what kind of stuff? Top 40, top 40. Whoever was popular, we would learn their material and, you know, rehearse it. So we had some um, gigs coming up. We would have, you know, a repertoire to choose from. And how comfortable were you on stage? Well, I was very comfortable until I got into the big stages. That was a that was a whole other thing. So, were you kind of an outgoing guy, or did you did you uh, mostly play rhythm or take solos or what? No, I was kind of uh, to myself mostly, reading and studying. You know, learning. And what about your, your playing? Were you uh, mostly hanging in rhythm, or were you doing some lead parts, too, or what? Rhythm. Mainly rhythm. So how did things uh, progress from there, Fred? You know, How did you get your first, what you might call, professional job? Well, long story. Make a long story short. My girlfriend at the time, she lived near a place called SIR, a studio rehearsal place. And there was a restaurant where her and her girlfriend used to go and eat all the time. And so one particular day, she decided not to go to work. So I said, I'm going to come over. When I got there, she decided she was going to go to work for half a day. So we would walk to where she worked at because we didn't live that far from downtown in Chicago. And so on our way to her job, we saw a bus outside this rehearsal place. She said, there's the bus I was telling you about. So I said, let's go and see who it is. So Charlie Wilson was walking off the bus. And so I said, hey, man, how are you doing? We introduced ourselves. He said, what do you do? I said, I play guitar. He said, wow, we've been there for a whole week auditioning guitar players. You got a cassette? I said, yeah, but I got to go home to get it. And so I didn't want to leave my wife, my girlfriend at the time, and go get a cassette to give to a stranger. 
And she talked me into doing it, so I went, got the cassette, and I went, there, went back to pick her up from work. When I picked her up, we got back, there was finishing rehearsal. He said, hey, man, can you go home and learn the show? I'm staying at the such-and-such hotel, and uh, can you be there around 10 o'clock? I said, sure. I went home, I learned the show, and came back to the hotel the next day, around 10 o'clock, maybe 10.30, and I had the audition for him, and I auditioned for Lonnie Simmons in the hotel. And so he said, man, I was thinking about if we could get him on the show with us tonight. Lonnie said, it's okay with me if the other guys say it's okay. So I met him at the stadium. I'd never been backstage before. And so my everybody was on stage doing a sound check. So they said, okay, Gabin, come on up. You got 15 minutes to sound check. And so I went up there, and they, so they played me, and they said, play something. I started playing something, and they, everybody went crazy. So <laughs> after the concert, um, I'm standing around wondering whether or not I got the gig. So the guy walks up to me, tapped me on the shoulder. He said, man, can you meet tonight? I said, who are you? He said, I'm the road manager down Alexander. I said, sure. I got to go home and get my clothes. So they drove me home, woke up my mom, and told her I got the gig. And so I left Chicago and been gone ever since. <laughs> wow. That's uh, quite a yep. whirlwind uh Incredible, uh, yeah. Yep. So you, you must so have been you, you must have been just pinching yourself or something. I didn't know what to think at the time because it was totally different, new to me. Because I never, like I said, a totally different environment, new new people. You know, everything was new. Never been on a big stage like that in front of all those people. So you know, naturally, you're gonna be afraid at first until you get used to it. So that's what happened with myself. So we went, just came back to, after the tour with the Ivy Brothers, SOS band. We came back to Los Angeles to the Total Experience um, uh, studio. And I met everybody there and we started doing some recordings. But before we did some recordings, we were on tour. We had a lady bus driver. Her name was Bernie. And uh, we stopped over. The bus broke down in Memphis. So we stopped over. So when we were in Memphis, they said, hey, man, why don't we just rehearse while we're here? We said, okay. So when we started rehearsing, Oliver Scott came in with this song called Yearning for Your Love. And uh, the intro, ding, and the guitar, they, they loved it. So as soon as we got back to California, we recorded it. Me, Robert Wilson, Oliver Scott, uh, Ronnie Kaufman, uh, Glenn Nightingale, uh, Ronnie Wilson. I think that's what uh, that's what it was. Yeah. Wow. So that tour you went on with them was like 1980. Is that about when? Yeah, 1979, 1980. So that was prob. Did they have burn rubber out yet? Do you remember? No, it was scooped upside your head. Okay. Yeah. So they were just starting to really pick up momentum then. Right, exactly. But what happened, the reason why they were looking for guitar players is because um, they have, was having to take a cut and pay, and a lot of the cats didn't want to take that cut and pay because especially Glenn, when he went to London, when he takes American dollars and exchange them to pounds, he ain't got nothing. So he said, man, I can't do it. So they were looking for uh, new guitar players and I just happened to be there at the right time and, you know, got the gig. 
And what had become of your brother uh, at that point? Because you said you were in a band together. Well, he kind of just stayed in the stayed away in the background. He's no longer with us right now, unfortunately. Um, but he was very supportive of me, very, very much, and happy because, you know, me as a family, you know, started doing some other things. So when you got picked up for that whirlwind tour, you know, did you know much of their material beforehand? I learned everything that night. When I went home with the cassette, I learned everything, the vocals, everything that night, the whole show. Wow. You must be a quick study. Yeah. You must be a quick study, Fred. Uh, I think I am pretty much. Because at the time, during that time, I was writing uh, chord charts and lead sheets for people that needed that work done. So I was, you know, used to using my ears and everything as far as my craft is concerned, you know, writing and, you know, doing whatever musically. And how old were you? About... 18, 19 years old. And had you ever traveled at all before that? No. Mm -mm. No, this basically around Chicago, in clubs or whatever, talent shows. Wow. So before that happened, you know, did you have dreams that you would be in a group like that or what did you think would become of your music career at that you know early on well you know we all have high hopes but you know it's a study to show yourself approved so i've studied my whole life and still to this day i still study not music but other things science whatever so you're a bookworm Kind of like that, I would say. I love to read, love to study, love learning. What were your first impressions of the Wilson brothers? Wow. It was different. That's all I could say. It was very different. I'd never been around, you know, quote-unquote rock stars. When me with those guys, they had already been in the limelight for years. So you're looking at an infant around, you know, grown-ups. But I learned a lot and learned it quick. I, I, I catch on pretty quick, I would say. And you said that the Isaac Brothers and SOS band were also out there. Did you get to, you know, mingle and meet those people too? Yeah, yeah. Because the tours normally will last like three to six months. But normally like three months. Be on tour for like three months. You come off tour, be off, be off for work for about, I'd say over to a month. Then we go into recording. And after doing recording, then we'd be off about another month and go back into rehearsal. After rehearsal, we go back on tour. You reminded me, I saw the Isley Brothers right around then at the L.A. Forum, but uh, it was with Grand Central Station. It wasn't with the Gap yeah. Band. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, 
Do you have a particular memory that really stands out, especially from that that particular tour? No. Like I said, it was anything was brand new to me. I had never been on no big old stage playing in front of thousands of people before, so it was like, wow. Like I said, it was like an infant around grown-ups as <laughs> far as musical maturity. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Le learning the ropes, at, on the job training. Yeah, exactly. Right. Had you ever played with uh, musicians of that caliber before that? I mean, you know, I'm sure they were. No, not really. Not of that caliber. Like I said, it was, it was a whole new world for me, man. Yeah. A whole new world, yeah. Yeah. So what was it like when you got in the studio for the first time? You know, you mentioned uh, recording that track, but what was the experience like for you being in the studio? Well... Wow, how can I answer that? Being in the studio, man, I don't know how to answer that. You got to give me another question. <laughs> well, how much direction were you given, and did you feel intimidated, or were you just, you know, very business, let's get it done, or, you know, what was it like? A little bit of all of that, let's get it done, you know. Um, you only got one take. Can you go back and overdub? You know, all of that. That's a learning experience, really. Everything is totally new to me. And who is mostly giving direction in, in those sessions? Well, Ronnie Wilson, Charlie Wilson, Lonnie Simmons, um... And Rudy Taylor. Is there any one of them in the band in particular, uh, Fred, that really just impressed you as a, as a musician or, you know, as a arranger, that kind of thing? All of them. Oliver Scott. Um, Ronnie Wilson. Robert Wilson. Like I said, everybody... It was totally new to me, man. Everything was new to me. Like a baby newborn. <laughs> what was it like? Yeah, well, well, considering that, what was it like when you first heard uh, something you played on the radio? Wow. That was... I was very, very happy day of my life when I heard myself. And everybody's, you know... And man, I, I, I hear you, brother. You sound great. And the compliments that you would get from people. And so that's a good feeling to be a part of something that's great. And know that you played a, you know, a part in that. I had, um, I don't know if you're aware, but I had Oliver and um, Moon Calhoun were on the show a few years back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you ended up playing, um, if I'm not mistaken, on um, Humpin' and Early in the Morning, and you dropped a bomb on me, Talking Back, Party Train, all those all those songs? Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, that's an impressive uh, group of songs there. I mean, those are a lot of classics. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And you went back still out. Still is today. Yes, they've stood up the test of time for sure. Yep. And you went back out on tour subsequently also with them? Yeah. Went back out with them to a point where Val Young um, told me she knew this guy named Rick James and we could go to his studio and do some recording. So we made something, uh, some material on a cassette and submitted it. And Rick, you know, let us come to Buffalo to record. And so we did our album there. And that album took off and did very well. So were you still part of the Total Experience camp in, in the Gap End then? Or had you moved on from them? Or what happened with that relationship? I still was. Still was. How, how did things um, change for you after, I mean... When you went on subsequent tours, you weren't the newborn, you know, baby learning anymore, right? You got some experience. No, it was, it, was, it was old hat. <laughs> it was old hat during that time. Yeah. And I really liked being on stage, playing in front of people. And um, the final response that you get from the audience, you know, and how they would show you how they appreciate what, you, what you're doing and all of that. Fred, can you share any uh, very memorable experience from any of the touring you did with the Gap Band where maybe it was just an incredible night for some reason or maybe something funny happened or maybe, you know, the power went out or who knows what? Well, it was, you know, every year during that time I went out with the group, every state would have like a little festival every year, like a food fest. You know, it was like start from Thursday through Sunday, and every day they would have entertainment. It was some place that we were at in the South or in the Midwest that had like a million people. I never performed in front of a million people in my whole life. And the next day it was in the paper. So I said, wow, a million people. One million people in that one setting. It's something when you touch that many, right? Yeah, for real. So on, on those like funk festivals that were so popular, who are a couple of the people that you shared the stage with that you were really impressed by? Uh, a group called Midnight Star. Uh, I'm very impressed with them. Uh, SOS band. Um That's what I could think of offhand. Midnight Star, um, SOS band. We got to be real close friends. Yeah, I've heard that the Midnight Star especially just rehearsed like crazy and they were really, really tight in their show. Uh, they was off the off chain. <laughs> that group, man. Hooey. Yeah. Now, was the Gap Band uh, headlining most of those shows? Yes, we were headlining all of those shows. We 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 didn't start out as headliners. We started out like opening up, but we started gaining so much momentum during that time period that we became headliners overnight. It seemed like.
I got to mention, Fred, I think, yeah, Gap Band 4 especially, that's just my favorite. That album was just tremendous from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one, of course, uh, for listeners and viewers that had Outstanding and um, You Dropped a Bomb on Me and Early in the Morning. It was just full of hits and just, you know, and also know. just sh- back to back. Showed the versatility too, you know. Had the the good ballads, the good funk stuff, everything. Mm-hmm. A little country mix in there too. <laughs> what kind of like extra little flavor did you feel like you gave the material? Wow, well, I would like to say whatever the material needed, I would try to supply that. Just like when you coming up with a, a song, I may hear a word or two, and then a whole song will come to my head from all the instruments, what the sound. Now the difficult part became trying to find the right sound that you was hearing in your mind for that particular title, and that whatever the, con- the textures were that in your mind's eye you felt that song deserved, trying to go through all the sounds to, to find the right sound that fit that, that song you know, they give it what it, it, the ingredients that it needs to be what it is. Did, did the Wilson brothers make, uh, you know, the band members feel inclusive? Like, you know, you were really part of a whole team or was it yeah. kind of like an us than them kind of thing? No, it's a family. Family. Ronnie Wilson thought of the name Gap Bank, said God's appointed people. Because everybody was, you know, filled with the spirit, making their contributions to the one thing and making it a whole. And did you also play on Janet Jackson's? Uh, I guess that was maybe. <laughs> yes, I did. The very first album. Yes, I did. Yeah. Did you get to meet her then? No, I never got to, got a chance to meet her. But I did some recording. The guy that was doing the producing, Jerry Weaver, was a good friend of mine, and he brought me in on that project. But I never got a chance to meet her. Do you remember who was producing on that one? I think Leon Silvers, or Jerry Weaver. I don't remember who else. But it's definitely before Jam and Lewis got a hold of her, right? Yeah, man. Wow. And uh, just looking at your credits, I see also you uh, played with Rick Dees, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I did something with, with, on the Rick Dees show. I don't remember exactly what it was, but yeah. And so, um, yeah, so you mentioned uh, connecting with Val, and she's been on the show too. Really enjoyed talking to her. Um, mm hmm. And um, so, what was it like when you first met Rick James? Oh boy! Wow! A giant man, giant. That that man had. He would give you the shirt off his back. He that was the, the most generous man that I ever met in my life. You know, he didn't have no ego. Like he thought he was better than you. And none of that. And that's his whole family was like that, man. 
the Wilson brothers family was like that. Everybody was, if they took you in, you know, you're part of their family. And they believe in sharing. That's how Rick was. And that was uh, about 1984, is that right? Or? Yeah. So he was already a full superstar by then. I mean, he was at the height of his success, really. Oh, man, he, he, he was doing it. He yeah. was doing it. Yeah, he was really doing it. And like I say, he was a very generous man. Um, he would give you the shirt off his back if he felt you needed it. He wasn't the monster that everybody made him out to be. You would have to know him in order to come to the real conclusion as to what the nature of how this man was. It's just like Charlie Wilson. Charlie Wilson, the same way, Ronnie, Robert, all of them. I never worked with anybody that was selfish, I would say. If it was, they didn't show you they were selfish. Did you happen to catch that uh, new Rick James documentary? No, I haven't. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, of course, you know, we know how it turns out, but man, what a bright burning star he was. Well, you have no idea. Like I said, he was not a selfish man at all. He believed in treating his people properly. When the band was not on tour, the band got a check every week. When the band was not on tour, the band got a check every week. That's how generous this man was. I don't know nobody like that. Nobody. But that's how Rick was. What exposure did you have to him musically? Mm. Well, wow, that's, that's a big question. Rick was the kind of guy that he would go in the studio, he'd play all the instruments, you know, come and have Tom fly or somebody to put it down a drum track for him. And he would start building on that. And then he said, Tom, give me the mic. He'd go in the, he would actually do his, re, his recording demo vocals on the track within the studio, not outside the studio. Then he'd give everybody a tape, say, hey, man, here, go home and learn your parts. And such and such day, we're going to come together and record like a band. And so did you get to see him actually... Um you know, composing at all or, or playing anything or? A little, a little bit. That's how I know what, what he was doing. Mm -hmm. I, I caught him a couple of times, you know. He may not be the best cat at, at, at each instrument, but he knew what the hell he wanted. And he knew how to com communicate that to you, what he was expecting from that particular instrument, what, how he wanted played from A to Z. So, Fred, what were some of the highlights of projects that you worked on that were part of Rick James's, um, you know, group of acts? Well, I mentioned Val. I mentioned Process in the Durag. Um, I mentioned uh, working with him a little bit before he passed on. I worked with him a little bit. It was... You know, everything is a learning experience. Whatever I put my mind to, I try to be the best at it. Whatever it is, I try to be the best at whatever I put my mind to doing. Did you end up doing any live shows with Val or any of the other acts 
No, unfortunately, no. Uh-uh. I never did any shows of Val Live. Well, her album definitely got some attention and play, but processing the do-rags kind of went by the wayside a little bit. I know. It's probably because of lack of support. Basically, that's the only thing I could think of, lack of support. Did, did, then whatever. Go ahead. Did, did Rick or anybody communicate to you the vision for that particular act? I mean, uh, some people thought maybe it was sort of like his version of the time or something like that. No, no, he never mentioned anything like that to me. What his vision was concerning that particular group, he just wanted a doo-wop group. And so he called them processing the do-rags. He's bringing it back to old days to present. Right. So when you were doing that, were you continuing to, uh, you know, tour with other acts or what was going on, you know, around the mid 80s for you? Basically just trying to protect my writing, not protect, but perfect my writing skills. And um, I, by that time I had a little studio. So I was, you know, in the, in the studio writing every day trying to see what I can come up with that I would like. And if I would like it, I know somebody else would like it. And what type of material were you favoring? Whatever touched my heart. Could be gospel, rock and roll. It doesn't matter. As long as it, I feel it's true to my heart and I, I feel where that particular song is coming from, I can identify with it. I see. It looks like, I mean, you have a credit for Rick James' Flag album that came out you know, in the later 80s and also the Gap Band 8. You're still doing stuff with them then. Um, mm-hmm. how, did, how did that sort of change when the, the hits for the, both of those guys kind of started coming fewer and farther between? You know, What did you see change in like the Gap Band or the Rick James camps? I didn't see any change because I was busy doing my own thing, so um, change. only thing that changed was me. Like I said, perfecting my writing skills to becoming a producer, songwriter, you know. And you uh, appeared on Pebbles' album, is that right? Yeah. That was weird how that came out. We had just come off tour, and I had just went into my apartment I'm packing my clothes I get a call from Charlie locksmith hey what you doing none can you come to the studio oh okay so I went to the studio they they was the making of uh Mercedes born I put put my two guitar parts down went home and uh the rest was history the song did very well I I would like to say just to give myself a pat on the back Having that Midas touch, I think I got that. I have part of that is within me, that Midas touch. Because everything I've, I've been affiliated with has been a success. Everything. I'm trying to recall, Fred, was that Pebbles? Was that a Jam Lewis production, or who did that? I don't know. I don't know. 
I couldn't tell you that. Yeah, I got to go check that out. But um, yeah, certainly hit big. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. Were there any uh, players or producers that you took inspiration from, uh, you know, in the 80s? Well, I love Leon Silvers, the way he did his production. He had the Midas touch. That dude had like three or four studios going on all at the same time, different projects. So I definitely admired that. And, uh, well, in, in the camp that I was in, total experience, all of that talent, man. One day I was in the lobby practicing my guitar. Lonnie Simmons walked by and said, man, you playing all of them chords. Man, I could write 20 songs with all of them chords. And I started thinking, huh? Simplicity. 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 Because basically the people that buy your records, they don't know all that instrumentation, they know what it, how to make the music make them feel. If the music makes them feel good and happy, whatever their their mindset is, if it goes in accordance with their mindset, they venture to buy it to make it you know a part of their their whole thing. Did you ever meet or come close to working with Leon Silvers? No, I never did. That was one of my dreams to work with that dude. But I never got a chance to work with Leon Silvers. But I like his style, his musicianship, and the, the guys that he used to do his recordings, just like Jimmy Zam and Terry Lewis. How they composed their music in the different set, um, from the verses to the chorus the bridge, the little intricate things that they will come up with uh, introduce the new, the new segment of the song, I would say. Yeah. Kind of like going, walking from one room to another room, but in a transition period, whatever goes on between those two points, you know, always fascinated me. Like the connective tissue. Man, yes. <laughs> That's very important. Yeah. It is, absolutely, yeah. I love that part. So what uh, what did you get into uh, in the 90s? Same thing, doing recording sessions, writing, practicing my writing. Um that's my music. Did you my music? Did I what? I was just going to ask if you, um, you know, ended up touring with anybody else um, as well. I, I did a few things with Rufus. Um, a few things with Rufus. I did. Um, and, oh yeah, I did Anita Baker. Um, same old love. From beginning to end, 365 days of the year. I did that song, but I didn't get the credit playing guitar, but that's me on guitar. What happened on the credit? Well, the, 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 the two 
individuals that wrote the song. They had a, a publishing deal with Gilbert Music, and um, we had a friend that, a guy from Chicago, he was a singer. He introduced me to them, and they called me in to play guitar and stuff. And uh, who who would know that Anita Baker picked the song up? So I never, like I said, I never got the credit, but I I did the song. Hmm. Yeah, I just had um, Andre Fisher was on, and I know you've done work with him. You mentioned Rufus, and he yeah. also he had some uh, relationship early on with Anita Baker, at least. Right. Yeah. Um, man, I love those Rufus tracks. I mean, such great stuff. Um, who was involved when you uh, worked on those tunes? That was already set in stone, those parts. So it was just a matter of me just coming along and playing what Tony Maiden had put down and Ray Parker. But in the... Um, was it with was Bobby Watson involved or who was in the band? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I said, as far as guitar speaking is concerned, my part was just to learn what Tony Maidenhead did and Ray Parker. I got you. I'm just wondering uh, who who the personnel was in the in the band for those performances. Um, Andre Fisher, Bobby Watson, me playing guitar, uh, several different cats. Uh, um, was it Tony Paddler played keyboards and um, a couple of the people I can't think of offhand but basically that was it and you've worked on some other material where Andre Fisher was involved too right no uh -uh. no not, not that I can think of it but at the moment, where you know something that I don't know? <laughs> Maybe something that uh, you don't have credit for also, or you don't even have knowledge of. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh -huh. I, I thought there was some something jazz-oriented maybe that you guys worked on together. No, uh-uh. No. Right. So what have been some of uh, your most recent things that you worked on? Besides my own jazz, smooth jazz CD, that was it. Is that available for people to uh, get a hold of? Yeah, it's called Fred Jenkins Word of Mouth. And how can they get that? Amazon. And what are they going to hear, what are they going to hear if, if they do get a hold of it? Some nice smooth jazz, easy listening music. When did you record that, Fred? In the late 90s, I think it was, yeah. Who do you really like in that genre? Earl Clue was one of my favorite guitar players outside of George Benson. Uh, basically, that's it, Earl Clue. Yep, love those guys. Love Benson, man. He's still playing like fire. I know. I know. I love that man. I love Earl Cruz. Laid back how, you know, his stuff is just... It's all occasions when you listen to his music. I never got a chance to meet Earl. I met George Benson one, at one point. 
Um, yeah. You you mentioned doing uh, Tony's parts in the Rufus tracks. Um, are they tricky at all? Because a lot of people really um, hold Tony Maiden in, in high regard. Well, I, I could play it, so it was very enjoyable playing with that group. It was very, very much enjoyable playing with them. Fred, I'd like to ask uh, interview interviews I do um, if they could pick five albums that would be the five if they could only hear five more uh, forever you know what would they be so kind of your, your top five of all time um, who would you throw at me if I asked you that Michael Jackson through the album Toto um, Gab Band for sure Rick James Val Young he said one five albums if you could only listen to five forever what would they be Gap Band um, Toto Rick James Prince um, myself that's it is there a particular Prince album that's your favorite no I like all of this stuff no particular Gap Band albums that I, I like, I'm, I'm kind of like a balladeer. I like the way Charlie sings the ballads, as well as the funk stuff, too. Well, you must really be happy now that he does mostly ballads. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Well, I don't know. I haven't been keeping up with Charlie lately, but I have to check it out and see. I was going to ask you if you were surprised at all that he came back so strong, you know. I mean, he kind of had a whole second career as a balladeer. Well, uh, he's got a good team that's, that he's working with that believes in him, that believes in him, that goes all out to make sure it's a, it's a, it is a success. So that's what every artist needs. If you got a strong team behind you, can't, you can't be nothing but successful. What accomplishment are you most uh, proud of in the music business, Fred? Oh, man. Scott, I couldn't even begin to tell you. Outside of myself, and, uh, stuff I did with Rick and Val and Gabin, just basically myself, man, not to be egotistical, but I love myself. I love what I do. <laughs> what are you doing with yourself these days? Well, I'm still being creative, still writing, and I have a little team that I work with. Any chance we might hear something from you? Yes. Yep. You gonna let me know? You will. <laughs> yeah. You you will be hearing it, guaranteed. All right. I hope so. You will. Very cool. Um, so it sounds like um, j probably uh, smooth jazz uh, kind of stuff might be your favorite genre rather than funk. All of it. I, I have no preferences. You know, whatever hits me. If funk hits me, it's a, at that moment, that's what I come up with. If a ballad comes to me, that's what I do. Whatever comes to my mind, 
is there anything you would have done differently, you know, from, uh, let's say, from when you uh, first got a taste of stardom with the Gap Band? Is there anything you would have done differently? No. Uh-uh. I think everything happens in accordance with the way it's supposed to happen. What advice would you have for a, a young uh, Fred uh, Jenkins today, you know, somebody like a young Fred Jenkins that might be trying to start off with music today, what okay. advice would you give him? My advice to somebody like myself is to be true to yourself. And if that's what you want, go after it wholeheartedly. Go after it. Because when they, they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So if you put your whole heart into what you do, something is going to come out of it. All right. Well, Fred, I really appreciate talking to you. It's been great hearing about the Gap Band and, and Rick James and all that. And, you know, I wish you future success and good health. And, again, I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.